This week, uh, we're starting a new series, and I'm, ex- I'm excited. Sorry, just a second. Hey, man, can I call you back? I'm kind of in the middle of something. Uh, not yet. Well, yeah, technically, I'm at the beginning of something. That's correct, but it, I mean, you knew that, and you still called me? Yeah. Okay. Um, why? I mean, can't this wait for a couple hours, that sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it better be the most amazing question I've ever heard in my life. It better be life-changing. What, what, what is it? Well, I wonder if my house that makes me look fat. Are you kidding? Look, I'm going to hang up now. Is that all right? That's, that is ridiculous. No, no, I'm well, I'm, I'm being rude? Are you kidding me? Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. I want you to say that again slowly. You're going to log on to ratemypastor.com and rip me a new one? Is that even a website? L- listen, I, this is getting out of control. Can we just, can we just be done with this? I, I'm going to be in the lookout hall in 30 minutes. I can tell you then. I haven't even seen you yet today. How can I answer this question? Fine. Okay. 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 Come on in. No. I don't think you look fat in that shirt. (laughs) It's ridiculous, right? And yet, there's just a little part of you that thinks it's possible for that to happen in our culture, right? Because I don't, it's happened with me, I think it's probably happened with you, where you've been engaged with a group of friends, and a phone call came in, and you disengaged from that group of friends to take that phone call. And at the end of that phone call, you thought to yourself, why did I just take that phone call? Why would I have allowed that to interrupt what I'm doing? It's because in the last 10 years, we've developed a relationship with these devices that we carry around that's, that we haven't seen in ages. I mean, we've never seen it before. In fact, it used to be that if you were home, which is where your phone was, and a call came in, the answering machine would pick it up, and you would return that call at your leisure, like, you would go and figure out, but you, you wouldn't disconnect from the people you were hanging out with, but the rules have changed. People expect you to pick up that phone call. On occasion, the rules are really confusing because I've been chided for phoning. Like, shouldn't this be texted to me instead? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. But here's what I do know. Um, our standard for communication is now constant and immediate. That's what we're looking for, constant and immediate. We we now live in a world where you can't go home from your job and really be disconnected because they can get to you anywhere at any time. You can't even go on vacation. You can't have family time without friends being there. And I know they're virtual friends, but you're sitting around with your family and half of that family is texting or communicating with somebody else. They're engaged with them. I was driving yesterday and they just finished a study 
on adult usage of their cell phones. And you know what they found? On average, this is average, um, each one of us spend 53 days a year looking at our cell phone screens. It doesn't say what we were doing. So, I mean, there might have been some important things. But we spent 53 days, unless you're an iPhone user. Any iPhone users here? Anybody? Yeah, 70 days. Yeah, just like to overachieve, right, in every way, shape, and form. I'd like to say that this demand of constant and immediate communication is going to go away, but I don't think it's going to. In fact, some of the stuff, um, I've been fascinated with what they're experimenting with out there. Uh, five weeks ago, I read a study. I can't, I can't remember it, so I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a brain-to-brain study. It was a, a multi-person, brain-to-brain interface for direct collaboration. Yeah, I know. It's going to sound much simpler after I tell you what it is, and then you're going to think it's not cool at all, but it kind of is. It was three people playing Tetris. Two people were watching the, the thing come down on the screen, and they were thinking about how you should move the piece to line it up below. They read the thoughts that were coming out using an FRM, and then they streamed those thoughts into a third person who couldn't see the, the pattern below, and that person tried to adjust the thing. And they were so successful to rule out randomness that they were able to figure out, we can make this work. We can pass our thoughts on to somebody else. And the reason they're doing this is they're hoping to create social networks of interconnected brains to solve complex problems. Just sounds like another social network I don't want to be involved with, right? But that, that's not all. They're using the same technology because there's some people out there who think it would be really beneficial if your feelings and thoughts could be transmitted to the people that you love and that you're the closest to. That, to me, sounds terrifying, right? Because my wife already thinks I'm pretty much a stinker, but she has no idea. She has no idea how much I filter out before it ever comes out of my mouth, right? And if she were aware of all of that, I would be in some serious trouble. Now, the one place where I thought this could be helpful is I don't know how many times in my life I have been asked by her this simple question, what are you thinking? Oh, yeah, you've heard it before. And what's the standard answer to that? Nothing, right? That's what we say as guys. And she doesn't believe me. I would love to have some way for her to understand how little is going on up here, right? For you to go, no, there's just not much here that's going on. It's okay. Now, you might think that the innovation behind this immediate and constant communication is just money. It's just being driven by people who want to make money, but I think it's deeper than that. I, I think there is something in us at our core that God placed there, and it's this desire to belong. It's to know and be known by other people. It's to care and to be cared for by other people. And God places that deep within our hearts. It says, listen, this is who I made you to be. But our culture, our culture um, doesn't embrace that. It doesn't embrace this idea of 
being interdependent with somebody. In fact, um, our culture says individualism, independence, that's what you should value. And they kind of make light of it, kind of like this. Uh, you see a stool like this, and um, maybe you would think it would be odd if somebody started making fun of a stool because people were sitting on it. <laughs> like, that's what it's made for. It's made to be sat on. Why are you giving it a hard time? Well, that's kind of how it is for belonging. Our culture kind of belittles that, makes light of it, but it's who we were created to be. It's who we were meant to be before God. And so um, I, I'm hoping this morning that we can start to understand how to engage that in our lives. I think some of the reason that this has become difficult for us, even though God's created this for you, like has put in you a desire, a longing, I would say it's a longing to belong in groups and teams of people, is I think sometimes the standards that we have for what that looks like and the ideas behind them are all wrong. So, like, for instance, when I was growing up, I think the standard, and I think this has changed, but I, it was definitely when I was growing up, the standard for belonging, for you feeling like you had friends, was an outgoing, bubbly extrovert who talked to everybody and was engaging all the time. And if you were a little more introverted, people would talk to you like you were broken somehow, and you needed to get out there and do that. And what happened is that people looked at that and said, well, I'm not like that. I guess I don't need friends. I don't need friends because that's not my personality. That's not my type. I'm, I guess I'm out. But today, the standard has changed. It has a lot to do with the devices, with the social media, all that sort of thing. Today, the standard is, I count the number of likes, the number of friends, the number of followers, and then I know I have friends. In fact, um, sometimes people look at that whole sphere and say, look at all this activity I've got. I don't really need other friendships. But here's the thing. If activity were the right standard, I don't think it is, then we would see spiking levels of people who feel a deep sense of belonging in our culture right now. It would be going off the chart because we have a lot of activity. The opposite is happening right now. Highest levels of self-reported loneliness. Key demographics in our culture who are seeing increased suicide rates, and when you dig into the numbers, it's because they feel isolated, which is kind of odd, because if you would go and you would poll people right now in this room, uh, people at your workplace, at school, if you ask them, are you connected, they would say, I feel more connected now than ever in my lifetime, because I have all of these people that I have this activity with, and yet, they're reporting high levels of loneliness, why? Because they've got the wrong standard. The standard isn't activity. It's not engaging with those friends. Now here's the thing. If God created us with this deep longing for us, it might make sense that we would go and understand what he thinks about this. Maybe some of the, maybe some of the standards or values that he has at play that we could use in order to achieve this. That's what I'm hoping to do this morning. 
I, I want to start by taking you back to where this all gets started. It's early. It's early in the scriptures. This idea of belonging comes up. In Genesis chapter 2, God's been talking about his creation and how good things is. And for the first time, this gets said. This is, this is verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. It is not good. It's not good. Now, now listen, if you're not careful and you're reading this section of scripture, you could arrive here and think to yourself, whoa, God just got surprised. He had no idea that the way he was creating this was going to turn out to be not good. No, God knew it wasn't good. This is here for our benefit. This is here so we understand the importance, the value of this. What's not good? He says this, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be set apart because you were made for belonging. I think it's fascinating that he said, I made a helper. This wasn't just somebody to hang out with. This was somebody who was invested in their life. This was somebody who knew that person and knew them deeply so that they could help. This is more than marriage. This, this gets used in the marriage narrative. But this is about who we are created to be as people. God says, listen, what I made you for was belonging. A sense of community with groups of people and teams. It's what I had in mind for who you are. And I intended for you to find people who knew you. For you to know other people. For you to care. For you to be cared for by other people. Um, he says this early in Genesis, and then you start seeing in the, in the text over and over where it becomes very apparent that this theme runs through the scripture. Like, like it's God's heart that we would be engaged in an us, not a me. He forms the nation of Israel. Why? Why is that a group of people who were set apart to make known who God was in the world. Why did he do that as a group? Because we were made to belong. We were made to be part of something bigger. Jesus founds his ministry. And quickly, quickly, he adds people to his team. Why? Because Jesus wouldn't be effective without a team? No, because this is the way he, he had made life to work. And so he gathers a team of 12, and there's more. There's the, the team's bigger than that, but he has 12 who are core to his process. And he does it because we were meant to belong. He prepares them as he's getting ready to leave to found a church where people would come together, be a part of a team that accomplishes goals for God. Um, that team it's referred to as family, where you decide to follow after God and you're adopted into a family. Again, these are all the language that's used throughout the scriptures to describe who we are. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how the church is a body. We're so intertwined with each other that we, we, we don't function well without other people. That's the picture. It starts in Genesis but it runs all the way through the text. You were designed by God. 
to be involved with other people and not just at a surface level where there's some activity in your life, but where there's something deeper going on where you know them, they know you, you care for them, and they care for you. So maybe we should um, get some help, try to maybe get a, um, a, a better standard. Because if it's not activity, which I, I'm convinced it's not, then maybe it's this. I want to take you to Psalm 133, verse 1. I love this verse. It's, it's just really cool. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Isn't that just sweet? It's um, good and pleasant. It's like those moments where you're hanging out with a group of people and you think back on it and it's just, it's just sweet. It's just good. And why? Because there was the sense of unity that you experienced together. It's that. This idea of unity is the kind of belonging that God's looking for us. Unified with teams, unified as a church, unified with your family, where there's a sense that we're in all of this together. And there is something that creates a sense of belonging that results in unity. Now, um, it should be encouraging but when you hear the, you, the word unity and you look around in our culture, are you encouraged right now? I mean, it seems to be like a dream, like almost impossible that that could ever take place. And I suspect that part of the reason it's become very difficult is because we have some ideas for how you create belonging and unity. Our, our culture does. I think there's three of them, and I think... Uh, we're, we're about to address them. I just want to mention them real quick. I think uh, some of the ways that we decide this is going to be unified or we're going to have a sense of belonging is if we all agree. Everybody's going to be in agreement. And if that's the case, we're in a lot of trouble because if you got on Amazon right now and you looked up a product, you would find people who were talking about a very specific thing about that product that they love, best thing since sliced bread. And then you'd find somebody else who would talk about that same exact thing on that product that they hate. Right? Same thing. Very different views. If it's agreement, we're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. I think another idea that we have that we can get belonging is that we think we can still achieve a level of connection with people if we have some barriers between us, if there's some distance still, I think our cell phones have done this a little bit. We feel engaged and connected, but there's still a barrier. There's all kinds of people who will post something online, but never say that to a person's face. Why? Because there's a distance between us, and we've concluded that this distance is okay, because I can still have a level of belonging. And I think the third thing that I see a lot of in our culture is that we compare each other. We kind of choose pecking orders. We figure out where you fit and whether you have influence over me or not. And again, the world that we live in just has a lot of this going on. And so I, I, I think 
There's some different ideas that God would have. He said, listen, I made you for belonging. I made you to experience unity, but there's gonna be some different ways that you're gonna have to go about this. And I wanna take you to 1 Peter chapter three to look at that. Um, Peter is writing to a bunch of churches in the Roman world. Uh, in the Roman world, these churches would have been made up, we know this from history, these would have been made up from people who were slaves, uh, 40 to 50% of the uh, Roman uh, population were slaves. They were owned by somebody else. Another group had earned their freedom. They had worked for a long period of time where they had given money and they had gotten their freedom. And then there were those who were really wealthy. And the churches, almost all of them met in wealthy homes. And so you had these groups of people who were from really different backgrounds all congregating together in these single churches. If anybody needed help on unity, it was them. Uh, Roman culture did not uh, appreciate that they were meeting together. In fact, it was one of the reasons the Roman culture hated the church. They were breaking social norms. And so these people were coming together, and everything in the Roman culture would have been against them, but against everything that they stood for. So they had it hard. And so Peter is giving them instructions. He's trying to help them figure out how to live. And part of that, he gives them some instructions on how they'll find unity. He's been talking to different groups. He gets to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, and he says, finally, all of you. Up to this point, he's been talking to husbands, he's been talking to wives, he's talked to slaves, he's talked to different groups of people, and now he's like, I just want, I want all of you to listen it says, finally, all of you be like-minded. Now, at first blush, when you look at this, you might think that that fits the cultural tendency that we have to think that you have to agree with each other in order to have a sense of unity, that you've got to agree on everything. Well, the key is found in this idea of like-minded, and in Philippians chapter 2, Paul uses it also. I want you to see how it's used there because I think it's going to help us define what this looks like. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded. There it is again. And then he goes on to give them some instructions for how they'll live. And in verse 5, he kind of summarizes everything he said. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Um, like-minded is not having the same thoughts and being in agreement on everything. It's having some mindsets that are the same, some values, some stuff that at the core for you is similar. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were having a conversation, my wife and I, with uh, one of our sons about dating and marriage. And he, he was asking some questions to us, and um, some of the stuff he was saying, uh, we, we looked at him and said, do you understand that your mom and I are really different? I mean, we have, we're opposite on personality, on love languages, we're opposite. Uh, there's all kinds of things that we're opposite on. And we just said to him, listen, if you're looking for somebody who agrees with everything that you think, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Because if we have to be in agreement on all of these things... It's not going to work out for us. 
We, we would not be able to find unity. But there's something that's bigger for us than all of these things that we disagree on. Both Tracy and I have this desire to honor God with the way that we live. And so we've adopted some values that are similar for us. We both have this desire to be gracious people. We both have this desire to be generous people. We have these things that are bigger than our differences. So sure, we won't think about raising the kids the same. We'll have all kinds of stuff that's different. But what overcomes that is understanding that at the core, there's some things that we care more deeply about that bind us. Can, can I just tell you, that's what works with teams at work. It works with friendships at school. It used to work. It used to work with politics. It used to be that two candidates could look at each other and say, I know you want the best for our country. I just think the policies that you stand for are wrong. They're not helpful. And they could at least accept that both of them had good intentions. We can't even do that anymore. Just listen to the ads that come to your house on a regular basis. The other side is the devil in every way, shape, and form. And they, there's nothing good about them. Can I just tell you that if you get caught up in finding agreement on everything, you're probably going to be a very lonely person because it's very difficult to do. But if you can cut through that, if, you, if you're working on a team at work and there's a lot of conflict, but that team can resolve that this is the purpose that we're here and we're all in agreement on this, we're all aligned behind this one reason, you can accomplish some pretty amazing things. You can have different perspectives in the room because unity is not uniformity. It's not an attempt to get rid of diversity. It actually allows diversity to come into the room because there are values that are bigger than your differences and you can tolerate those differences in the people around you that are different from you because at least at the core you have a mindset, a value that's the same. And the question is, are you looking for those to be a binding influence? I think sometimes we don't even do this with our own families and our families end up fractured and falling apart because we haven't found the shared values that we hold together as a group. Peter goes on, says it's not just a mindset, it's not just these values that you find that are a binding influence that lead to belonging and unity, it's also this, be sympathetic, love one another. <laughs> the, uh, we just finished a series about how you were complex people that have been shaped by complex forces. And if that's true, it means that there's something valuable about understanding that other person. It's respectful to say, I know that you're, something's going on with you. I want to understand it. I want to get behind whatever's happening and find out what's going on. And yet, that's become difficult in our culture. And I think um, something that helped me understand why that's become difficult for us, why loving and empathy are so hard. I was at a conference back in August, 
And a lady was talking, I think she's brilliant, and uh, she was talking about two different communication styles that are happening in our world right now. And she said, um, one of the styles uh, that a lot of us participate in is 2D communication, two-dimensional. I put my words out there. That's what I'm really concerned about. I put them out there through email. I put them out there through a post on Facebook. I put them out there through through a review somewhere. I want my opinion, my words, my voice to be heard, so I put them out there. I'm not that concerned about how you receive them as long as I can get them off my chest. And these devices, these platforms that we have, are allowing us to participate in 2D conversation all day long. And she said, but if you want understanding, if you want, if you want deeper communication that actually gets somewhere, it'll require 3D communication. Three-dimensional, where you actually sit down and it's not just that you care about getting this stuff off your chest, you care about how it lands with that other person. You care about how they hear it, you care about how it makes them feel. You want to see their eyes when you say the words that you say. You want, to, you want to ask further what's happening with them because you see the body language that they present. That, um, our world has become full of 2D communication opportunities. And it feels like we're more connected because we have more of them, but it actually undermines our ability to have understanding and empathy because that happens when you sit down across from somebody and you talk to them and you see them and they see you and it adds a layer that you can't get any other way. I think sometimes we do this because we have some hard things to say to somebody and so we think it'd just be easier if we just sent the email. We'll just give them the email. That way it's off my chest. But what it does is it undermines your ability to be empathetic, to be loving and caring. And even even in our culture right now, our communication styles are undermining our ability to have empathy and show love for each other. So Peter was like, hey, I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to love one another. How you do this is important. uh, We realized... Uh, Tracy and I did, that this was happening in our own lives. We would be in the same living room all night. Um, The TV would be on. I would be on my phone. She would be on her phone getting in our 70 days of viewing time, right? And we realized um, that if we didn't start finding space just to shut everything down, that we were going to be disconnected even though we were there. And so we've started, we've started turning everything off. She comes and sits on my lap, and we talk for a short period of time. It's probably about a half an hour. But it's more than what we had before, and it's a level of 3D communication that we've decided to interject into our relationship because it's just so easy to be disconnected. It's so easy not to understand each other's perspectives. Peter goes on. He says, I also, all of you, I want you to be compassionate and humble. 
which is the exact opposite of comparing. It's the exact opposite of picking a pecking order and saying, as long as everybody stays in their lane, everybody's fine. You know where you sit, you know where you stand with our group, just don't get out of line and everything's okay. Instead, Peter says, listen, why don't you realize you're no better than anybody else and they're no better than you? And because of that sense of humility that you have with each other, you actually have the ability to find a sense of unity with each other. See, all of these, all of these things that we do just seem to undermine, like our culture's way of thinking about belonging just keeps undermining our ability to do it. And it's because God has a really clear set of standards for how we would go about this. He, he created you for belonging, for unity. And he's also given you some wisdom as to how you'll pull that off. You'll have to decide, what am I gonna do in order for me to engage with the people around me? Now, um, here's the thing. You can look at um, your desire to connect with other people and say, I've got enough activity, I'm good, I'm set. I think you'll be disappointed in the end. I really do. But if you decide, okay, I'm gonna take cues from Peter. I'm gonna choose to be humble. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose some of these other ideals that God has in mind, then, then you're gonna have to make some choices. Um, band, if you would make your way up here. It's why, it's why we put this calendar on the back wall. Because if you were to look at the stuff that was up there, it's not like the things that are here are bad or wrong. In fact, some of them are good. Um, is the band still? Oh, they're not in here. Could somebody make sure the band knows that they should be on their way? Okay. They're probably partying and having a really good time in that back room. But at some point, there they are. We're encouraged by that now. At some point, you're going to have to do this. If finding belonging, experiencing unity is important, you're going to have to carve out some time. I'm, I'm not saying that to make you guilty. I understand everybody's running crazy. They're, they're going breakneck speed. I'm saying this for this simple reason. When you experience belonging that God designed you for, your life then experiences a sense of happiness, healthiness, and wise choices. It, it's the series that we're doing. See, God doesn't give you instructions. He doesn't tell you stuff about your life so that he can control you. I think sometimes people have understood God's instruction that way, and it's not the point. His point is, if you want to fully live the life that you were meant to live, then you'll find a way to belong. You'll find a way to have somebody know you. You'll find a way to know somebody else. You'll find a way to care for somebody. You'll find a way to care for somebody else. And it could be 20 people or it could be one. The, the amount of activity isn't the measure. 
The question is, are you finding people in your life to be genuinely connected with? As you think about this, I want you to listen to that song, and then I'm going to come up and close this real quick. If I were a betting man, I would tell you right now that there are um, many people in this room who are lonely. From experience, from conversations, that the song that they just sang, I'd Like a Connection, is a cry that people have in their hearts, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't make a change, if you don't make an adjustment, you're not going to find something different. Um, On your table, there's some papers there, some stuff that you could engage with, that you can connect with, but out on the information center, there's a big piece that says what's happening. On the back of that, there's all kinds of things that you could find a connection with. There's um, groups, men's breakfast, all kinds of things happening where you could step into a team of people who could get to know you, you could get to know them, you could care for them, they could care for you, and there'll be opportunities like that. Two things that are, that are just around the corner. The men have a chili cook-off thing that's November 13th. If you're a guy, you ought to consider going to it. Ladies, on November 18th, after the service, after second service upstairs in the flat, they're going to host an open house so you can find out what's going on with women's ministry and be a part of that. These are things that you could do. Do something. Do something. You were designed by God to find unity with other followers of Christ, with your family, with the teams of people that you'll be with. Doesn't it make sense that you would find values that you could share, that you would give love and empathy to each other, that you would approach them with a level of humility? If you did that, you could grow the very thing that you're craving. Let me pray with you. God, you put in us a desire to connect. And although you've you've created that and designed us for that purpose, there's a whole group of people these days who find themselves lonely and isolated. They don't know who to communicate with. They don't know how to get started. God, I ask that you would help them to find one small thing that they can do to start changing the direction of their lives. Whether it's making time to sit and talk quietly with a friend whether it's showing up at one of these events and just starting to get to know other people, I ask that you would give them the courage to act on this stuff and not just think about it. God, I ask that you would help us to embrace the design that you created in us. We actually need each other. It's it's part of your master plan. So give us the courage to follow up on that take steps to make a change, to move stuff around on our schedule, to actually make it work. We ask for the courage to make it happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. I hope you'll come back next week.